So, <clears throat> good morning. Um, I, I look kind of funny today. We're, um, we're at the clinic here in lower Alabama, Foley on the uh, eastern shore of Alabama. And um, it's near Gulf Shores. And I'm just trying to get some stuff ready for the, uh, for the event, some uh, last minute preparations. Um, hold on just a second. Uh, did I lose my, here we go. Um, <clears throat> today we're going to be talking about the calcium score. Uh, and it reminds me of one of my favorite movies, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly by Clint Eastwood, because there's some really good stuff that you can get out of most of these, uh, a lot of these um, ways of looking at plaque. Plaque's important. It's something that causes um, the vast majority of heart attack, stroke, uh, so therefore death and disability. But we don't really have good ways of, of uh, measuring plaque yet. One of the tools, you know, you know, the standard is Framingham followed by a stress test, followed by a coronary angiography in the cath lab, usually followed by a stent. And that really doesn't predict, uh, predict or prevent heart attacks. There are better ways to do that. That's what the book is all about. One of the better ways is the calcium score. So we're going to talk a little bit more about calcium score today. But before we do, let's go back and um, and uh, talk about some of the other things that we've covered in terms of the uh, the um, pardon pardon me, but we're at the wrong place on the deck. Let's go back and talk about some of the other stuff that we have available on the uh, on the channel. Then we'll get into the discussion of the coronary artery calcium score. Again, this channel is all about um, helping people uh, prevent the things that are killing them, the things that are disabling them. And it's not just in the U.S., not just in the developed world now. It's all over the world. Um, chronic diseases are becoming the big issue, uh, the big risks, heart attacks, stroke, um, dementia, Alzheimer's. Uh, and these things by far, in a way, have one big risk factor. Unfortunately, that risk factor is terribly underdiagnosed. It's diabetes and even prediabetes. Uh, if you hear your doctor say, hmm, you got a touch of sugar, be afraid be very, very afraid. And so, <clears throat> because here, here's why, even though uh, prediabetes may be a major cause of plaque and heart attack, therefore heart attack and stroke, it's not really uh, diagnosed very well. The science is really clear. Um, the vast majority of primary care doctors don't understand how to diagnose prediabetes, let alone how to treat it. So that's what this channel is all about, helping you um, in your journey. Because if the vast majority of, pre of primary care docs don't know how to diagnose prediabetes, that leaves us in a buyer beware or patient beware environment. How do you find out 
how can you diagnose and make sure that you don't have significant risk factors for heart attack and stroke that your doctor's just missing? Well, uh, again, that's what this channel's all about. We talk about ways to find that out. We have things called webinars where you can join. You can get something like a, uh, a calcium score or a CIMT. Actually, we're going to be having a CIMT webinar coming up in a few weeks. Uh, our friend David Mines has been doing a lot of his CIMT uh, activities. He's back on the road again. Uh, if you'd like to find out where he's going to be, please... Uh, please let us know. Call uh, Michelle at 859-721-1414. That's 859-721-1414. And she can coordinate with David to let you, let you know where he will be uh, in terms of getting a CIMT. Uh, we also have webinars on insulin resistance, how you can get the definitive testing for insulin resistance. And uh, join us in a group session to talk about, okay, what's bad, what's not, because again, not only do the vast majority of doctors uh, not get this definitive type of testing, they don't really know how to interpret it when they do. And it's, again, something that if you're going to protect your health, you got to learn yourself. Now, it's not as bad as it sounds because I've got, I've got hundreds of people doing this. Uh, and when you start looking at the channel viewership, we're over 100,000 now. And we get these kind of comments on a regular basis. Doc, you saved my life. Uh, I decided to take your test. And guess what? I don't have prediabetes. I've got full-blown diabetes. And you know what? Um, I decided that I understand now I can't effectively metabolize carbohydrates. So I've started to back off on carbohydrates in my diet. Guess what happened? Um, I stopped eating uh, corn chips. I lost 20 pounds, you know, and that's a real comment. That's from um, old Alabama gardener, OAG. He's left several comments similar to that. And he's actually done a couple of videos with us. So there's plenty of ways that you can learn this. It's not that hard. And guess what? It saves your life. Uh, if you don't want to do a webinar, if you'd rather do more of a course type of format, we've got courses that can help you do that. Um, I'm going to skip over these last things and just mention one other thing. So one of the uh, things that we're, we're doing is a series on the Prevention Myths book. The Prevention Myths book, uh, Todd and I put out about three or four months ago. It's all about how a stress test is not going to be able to predict your heart attack. Who's the poster boy for that? Big Russ, Tim Russert. He, uh, he had a stress test, passed it with flying colors, and died in his office three months later from a heart attack. And it's because a stress test can't prevent a heart attack. He's not alone. That happens all the time. Yet we still uh, depend on it to the tune of what, eight million a year? Despite the fact that not only does that work, well, you could say, well, those are just anecdotal uh, stories with Tim Russert and some others. No, the studies have been done. The Orbita trial, the Courage trial, they have shown stress tests don't predict heart attack. And stents don't prevent heart attack. 
Now there's a time for a, a stent for sure. Um, and that's usually in terms of treatment of a heart attack. And there's clearly time for stress tests, but not nearly so much as we're doing. If we could just take a tiny portion, one or 2% of the resources that we spend on cardiac cath, uh, stents, uh, stress tests, and put them behind other things like calcium score, uh, CT angiogram, and especially um, IMT. We would be in such a better place in terms of understanding where plaque is. Now, calcium score, I mean, if you, if you listen to people like uh, Igor Cummins, Ivor Cummins, a lot of folks that have watched my channel have watched Ivor's as well. Uh, he and I tended to, to go right along the same lines until he got, he, we sort of separated just a little bit in terms of uh, the COVID thing. But we're still in the same place in terms of focusing on uh, pre-diabetes, diabetes. Now, another place where Ivor Cummins and I are slightly different is that he relies almost entirely on the calcium score. His funding comes from a, uh, an entrepreneur whose life was saved by the calcium score. And the calcium score is a great study. However, you got to know how to use it and when to use it. I had another patient uh, just a couple of weeks ago who did the work. He, uh, he found out he had significant risk. He, um, he had a positive calcium score. He got started. He, he did significant weight loss. He found out that he had some, uh, some insulin resistance challenges, not a whole lot, but enough to cause some of these problems. He lost a lot of weight. He got where he needed to be. And he said, I'm going to do a victory lap. I want to see how my calcium score is now. It, it increased by several hundred. And it's like, but that wasn't supposed to happen. You know, I, I, I've, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. And if I've said it once on this channel, I've said it a thousand times. Be careful that you know what you're working with when you order one of these studies. The bottom line is, when, uh, when we work with somebody who's got soft plaque, when we work with somebody who's got plaque, our goal is to calcify it. And doing the right thing, doing the weight loss to decrease those cytokines in your, in your uh, bloodstream, improving your exercise, improving your uh, daily glucose uh, levels in your blood, those things are going to result in calcification of any plaque that you might have had, whether it was noticed on other on previous studies or not. So be careful because, again, uh, that's what usually happens. You get plaque, you, you, start, um, you start improving your health, and then that plaque turns into calcium. So let's talk about it a little bit more deeply. Plaque's important. How do you measure it? Framingham, stress tests, coronary uh, angiography. Uh, those are the standards that you see in the medical community today. And then, you know, there are things like ankle brachial index, which it's, you know, it's exciting. It's cheap. It's a do it yourself. But there's a lot of challenges with that one. The ones that the three that I recommend are calcium score, IMT and CT angiogram. 
let's get a little bit deeper in each of those. So why do I have the comments that I have regarding these things? Well, again, plaque is important. It's the major cause of uh, myocardial uh, heart attack, stroke, and very much associated with Alzheimer's. How do we screen and measure for plaque? Well, Framingham is the way your doctor starts, whether you know it or not. And unfortunately, it's not a, it's not a measurement, it's a guess. Even more unfor unfortunately, it's a bad guess. Um, how do I know that? Well, again, we've done videos on that. Uh, we'll do some again later to help people understand how. With Framingham, the uh, the the estimate numbers, the formula that go into it uh, are based on data that's 10, 13, even 20 years old in some cases. And here's what happens. The risk was very different then. And especially with women, we'll see Framingham give you twice the risk that you actually have in many, many cases. So guess what? You know, we talk about uh, docs putting people on statins all the time. Well, you know, one of the major things that we have for decisions regarding statins is Framingham, which doubles the risk of half of our population. It's like, you know, are we thinking stress tests, 8 million a year, and they don't predict heart attack. So why are we doing them? Because everybody says, everybody thinks that it's all plumbing in there. No, people tend to not think about, no, maybe it's not plumbing. Maybe it's inflammation. So then you go to the PC angiogram, percutaneous angiogram or cardiac cath. Do you really want to go to the cath lab, get a large needle and, and um, tube stuck into your, the artery in your groin, thread it up to your heart and start taking pictures? Uh, once you're there, it's really hard to reverse that process. And you're usually way down that slippery slope to getting instrumentation, uh, stents, you know, despite all, as ugly as that sounds, my major concern with cath labs and, and, um, uh, even stents is not so much that they cause danger in and of themselves. Here's the problem. Too many people think that the definitive treatment has been done. I don't have to worry about it. And instrumentation is not the definitive treatment. Again, the Orbiter trial, the um, Courage trials, the um, even the uh, ischemia trials. With the Orbiter trials and the, and the Courage trials, they said uh, stents don't predict heart attacks or don't prevent heart attacks. And with... With that, a lot of the medical community said, well, OK, well, it's just got to be a full blown uh, bypass cabbage, coronary artery bypass graft. Well, the ischemia trial came along and looked at cabbage as well. And cabbage bypass graft doesn't pr prevent heart attack and stroke either. So it's like, so what does? I hate to tell you, but it's improving your lifestyle. It's losing the extra weight that you know you need to lose. It's uh, managing your diet, managing your nutrition, doing the exercise, doing the hard work that you need to do. Uh, back to uh, the script, uh, in terms of looking at plaque, again, what's, what's wrong with the ABI? It's do it yourself, but it's too difficult for the vast majority of us to 
to interpret appropriately because there's too many if thens associated with with it. I, for example, have a totally normal ankle brachial index, but we know I have plaque. We know I have plaque enough to where if I let myself go, um, I could end up with a heart attack. You could argue about whether or not I've had full-blown diabetes. That's an academic point. I've got enough plaque to cause these problems. So, uh, and I can tell you, I'm not getting a stent for that. Um, I'm managing my lifestyle. So again, here, here are the three that I, the three ways of looking at uh, plaque, measuring plaque that I would recommend, seeing plaque that I'd recommend, um, CT angiogram, calcium score, and IMT. Now, each of them has its strong points. Each of them has its weak points. With a CT angiogram, it's expensive. The research base is not entirely there yet. But you know what? It's not entirely there yet for calcium score or IMT either. Um, and it's not really looking so much at peripheral plaque, but that's not really the question for most of these. CT angiogram is an up-and-comer. Uh, one of the major advantages to see, two major advantages to CT angiogram. Um, number one, your standard medical community uh, not guys that are using I calcium score or IMT, but your regular docs are uh, looking at CT angiogram. And because it's, well, maybe I'm being a little bit pejorative here, but my perspective is because it's high tech, because it's expensive, because it involves a CT machine, they're comfortable with that. And um, you're seeing a lot of it in the... Uh, in the research now, the Scott Hart trial looked at CT angiogram and it made it really clear that um, that is an effective way to start looking at uh, potential heart attack and stroke. Calcium score. <laughs> the good part, it's inexpensive. It's another good part. It's really easy to find. It, your you know, x-rays on us down on the corner down the street probably has calcium score available. Uh, some insurance companies are finally starting to pay for it, but even if they don't, and we're talking usually a hundred bucks, it's worth it. Um, what are the downsides? Well, it's good for screening. It does have uh, radiation. There's one of these systems, one of these processes that doesn't. IMT does not have radiation. CT angiogram does. Calcium score does. Uh, but uh, if you're talking about risk for heart attack and stroke in a uh, 50, 60 year old person, the risk associated from the uh, radiation on a calcium score is just insignificant. It's not insignificant for screening studies for kids coming out of the womb, though. And IMT, uh, you, you've, you've seen tens of thousands of uh, IMTs done on kids coming out of the womb because there is no radiation. What, what's the biggest disadvantage of calcium score? Well, because it doesn't show soft plaque, it only shows calcified plaque, you end up with the situation that I described at the beginning where people develop plaque, they develop soft plaque, they're in a cardiovascular inflammation mode, and then they find out, they turn it around, and they expect to see an improvement on their calcium score and more times than not, they see the exact opposite. Now, Matthew Budoff has said, no, there's a way to do follow-up. We'll talk about that in a minute. He really didn't convince a whole lot of people, and I'm one of them. So further information about calcium score. 
It's a measurement of the quantity of the calcium in the arteries of the heart using CT, computed, uh, computer uh, tom tomography. Uh, it's a good screening tool for cardiovascular disease. It is not great for tracking or monitoring progression of disease risk. The calcium shows up as a bright white area in the image of the coronary arteries. The presence of any calcium as indicated by any calcium score greater than zero indicates that there is plaque or atherosclerosis in the coronary arteries. I don't think we have that in the uh, slides or the, um, uh, the script today, but I'll just make a quick comment. There are multiple studies that have shown if you've got a calcium score of zero, you really, really should push back if your doc wants to put you on a statin. So yet another place where uh, just using your LDL level, your cholesterol level is not the most appropriate place. It's not the most appropriate goal uh, for using uh, statins. There are other things to look at, other things to think about. Now this test, uh, the calcium score is easily accessible. It's relatively inexpensive and very well standardized. Compared to the IMT, that's actually one of the major problems with IMT. The major advantages to IMT are, number one, you can, uh, you can see soft plaque. And number two, you can see progression. There are still challenges even in uh, the, best, the best quality shops like Todd Eldridge's, where you can see some changes where you have to interpret what they actually mean. But by far, the biggest advantage to IMT is um, the ability to see soft plaque. You're not going to see that on an IMT. Um, here's the guidelines there for um, the ACC, American College of Cardiology, the, and AHA, uh, the American Heart Association. See, this is, I'll talk many times uh, in the book and other places about the standards committees. That's, this is what a standards committee does. They develop these standards. They make the recommendations. They'll put it in an article in one of the related magazines. And it'll be anywhere from a dozen to six dozen pages on how and when they recommend using a certain thing at a certain time. Now, this is the standards committee uh, guideline on management of blood cholesterol. So, again, as you can see, you already see the perspective of this um, this committee. They're already coming out of the block saying it's all about cholesterol. Let's skip over that. That's not the topic for today. The report of the Col American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association Task Force on Clinical Practice Guidelines, what it should be uh, focused on is preventive guidelines. So here's where they fell on coronary artery calcium. Uh, coronary artery calcium testing may be considered in adults 40 to 75 without diabetes and with LDL cholesterol levels greater than or equal to 70 um, at a 10-year atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease risk greater than 7.5%, up to 20% if a decision about statin therapy is uncertain. Um, do I agree with that? And is that how I use it? No. Um, I'll tell you in a minute how and when I tend to use it. It's a level 2B recommendation, which means it's prudent uh, and it's usable in certain instances. 
that actually, so that's sort of a lukewarm, yeah, kind of uh, recommendation from that standards committee. But again, as you see, that standards committee is almost complete to them. It's not even a guideline on heart attack and stroke prevention. It's a guideline on cholesterol. That's their view of preventive uh, medicine. So uh, again, all that may sound uh, lukewarm at best. And many of you in listening to me and hearing that may say, well, who cares what they have to say anyway? Well, I'm not going to go there. That's not the purpose for these discussions today. I will say that even this is a major move forward for that standards committee for calcium score. Up and it's been, you know, several decades, they've said, no, we don't recommend it. Now, how, I mentioned how and when I use calcium score. Let me talk, I don't use it in all of these uh, places, but I do in a few. Screening for moderate Framingham risk uh, medication question. That's, uh, uh, it, it, that's a, a, that's certainly a reasonable time to use it. Again, in most of my patients, I have a fairly good uh, opportunity to get an IMT. I tend to use that more. So for example, on my patients, uh, 80 to 90% will get an IMT. Three to 5% uh, has a calcium score and that's all we can get. And that's what we function from. Uh, the second item, rule out risk. And I mentioned a minute ago, there's several good studies indicating if you have, that if you have a zero calcium score, uh, you have zero, probably zero risk. Now, those of you who know this space may be thinking, well, what if somebody's got nothing but soft plaque? That does happen, but it's pretty rare. Very rare, uh, in fact. I've seen it. Uh, so... But, but again, you have some other tip-offs. You know, you have obesity problems, you have family history issues, um, and you know that that patient's maybe in their 50s and they've got a significant family history tending to happen more in the 60s. You know, you've got plenty of evidence to suspect that they're starting to get into this age where they're starting to develop um, calcium and plaque. Speaking of age, you may see this image right over here on the right. Um, look at this image, interpret it, and tell me that age has nothing to do with heart attack and stroke risk or calcification risk. And it's just very, very clear. You know, so many people think that the diabetes and prediabetes and heart attack and stroke epidemic has everything to do with obesity. Yes, obesity is very important but aging is even more important. Think about that, be aware, and let me get back to uh, the script. Uh, I mentioned Matthew Budoff. In 2013, he said, you can actually use a calcium score to track progression. Like I said, mm, he's a big, big fan of calcium score, but he really did not convince a whole lot of people that calcium score is a great way to follow, uh, follow risk. It's and I'm one of them. I don't think it's a good way to follow risk because I run into more problems with people like the patient I just described at the beginning of the presentation saying, you know, I did all the stuff. I 
expect to have a huge decrease. I lost 40 pounds. I'm expecting I'm going to have a huge decrease in calcium score. I'm going to get, I'm going to get one of those. Uh, and I'm over there saying, oh, please be careful. Think about not doing it. And if you do it, please be aware that you may get a significant increase. And Okay, Doc, I, I hear you, but I want to go ahead and get it. Well, Doc, I am upset. My calcium score didn't go down. It didn't stabilize. It went way up. And I look at the, the formulas in uh, research and they say, if you're going up 20, 25% per year, you've got major increase in risk. I lost 40 pounds. I jumped up much more than 20%. I've, that, that research is telling me I've got a huge amount of risk. And it's like, I, if, I've asked you many times, please don't get a calcium score and expect it to give you that kind of clarity uh, on decreasing risk. We know from what you've been doing clinically, you don't, you don't lose 40 pounds. You don't get a, uh, a decrease in your triglyceride over HDL ratio from four down to less than one. You don't get all of those things happening. You, you don't get a, a decrease in your uh, hemoglobin A1C from 6.5 down to 5.2. You don't see all those things happening without a decrease in heart attack and stroke risk yet your calcium score went up. So which are you going to believe? You know, I'm, I can tell you what I believe, but I can't tell you what you should believe. Now, here's one place where I, I, I do. There are a couple of places where I use it. As I said, I'll use them in about 5% of my patients. Um, and it's usually when we don't have access to a good IMT. Um, I, I, improving compliance. I get a huge number of patients that come from, uh, to my channel. I don't know, maybe 20 or 30% of them, maybe more actually come to the channel practice because they got a positive calcium score. Getting that positive calcium score is a major wake up call. And if you haven't seen the movie, the Widowmaker, uh, I think it's worth taking a look. I think it's a good movie. It goes into the details and the history of how the calcium score was created. Um, <clears throat> it was also funded by the same Irish entrepreneur who uh, funds Ivor Cummins' channel. So again, that's Matthew Budoff, uh, early, early study, uh, Budoff study, to 2006 on... Uh, coronary calcium score, when they were just beginning to understand a lot of the details for calcium score. Now, you may have heard of Agatston. You probably haven't heard of MESA. MESA is a, a trial, a series of trials that were done recently, actually a, a database where trials were, um, were done. And they actually compared some new ways of looking at calcium score to the old standard. The old standard is Agatston, the Agatston score. Uh, the Agatston score was developed in 1990. Um, well, let me go back and just mention this. So what are these scores? Well, you get, as, as I said before, and I showed a picture of it, when you get a calcium score, you get a picture. So oh, there, there's one right there. You get a picture. Now, how do you 
is there a way to quantify this? And the answer is, yes, there is. One of the first ways proposed to do that, and it's the standard, was proposed by a cardiologist named Arthur Agatston, who lives in South Florida. And we'll mention that again a little bit later. Um, Agatston developed the score, his score in, for CT uh, calcium in 1990. It has many populations indexed to it. It also includes some incorrect assumptions about calcification. It misses the fact that non-calcified plaque is more dangerous because it's more vulnerable to rupture. But in fact, that's not just an Agatston problem. That is a complete, uh, any calcium score that you do is going to have that problem. Now, MESA. So when they did the MESA studies, they started, like I said, looking at maybe there's some better ways of, of scoring uh, a calcium score. And um, maybe we can get over some of the challenges we had with the Agatston score. They did do some, uh, they got some better interpretation and it's actually a better scoring system, but you just don't see it. Agatston was the first, it was the predominant, it was the best when it came out. And again, all of the index populations are indexed to Agatston. So I really don't, I'll be surprised if we ever see the MESA uh, quantification system take over from Agatston. So, Let's go back and all of that was some really geeky doctor science, which I do way too much of. Let's talk about a patient. This is Neil. Oh, that's not actually Neil. That's a, a beauty shot we found off the internet. I wasn't gonna use Neil's uh, actual image. At 57, Neil told his doctor, and that was me. Uh, I was one of his doctors, a consultant to him. He said, Doc, you, and this is when he first came to me, he said, I know I've got maybe six years to live. I'm, I want to get some things done because I know I'm going to be dying soon. And I said, why do you say you've only got six years to live? Well, he replied, because I've got calcium in my heart. I've got a score of almost 300. <clears throat> I know there are plenty of people listening uh, today who have scores over a thousand. I've got plenty of patients with scores well over a thousand, multiple thousands. And I said that to him and it was like, I didn't, I didn't hide from him. I didn't want to, I wanted to take his concerns seriously, but I also wanted him to take my reaction seriously. A calcium score of 300, an Alec Agatston score of 300 is not a death sentence. Let me repeat, a calcium score of 300 is not a death sentence. And for those of you with a calcium score over a thousand, that's not a death sentence either. It's not, you can control this. So <clears throat> to get back to the script, I, I told Neil, consider the fact that 70% of people age 57, your age, Neil, have a positive calcium score. 300 is not a death sentence. According to Agatston, 300 is moderate risk. Neil was 5 feet 10 and weighed 240 pounds. Well, you know, guess what? We, we found a couple of the two most dominant risk factors. What were the two? Obviously, you're probably looking that, at that and saying, well, Brewer, he's, his, he's the same height you are. You weigh 160, 155. 
He weighs 240. That's a problem. That's correct. And he doesn't, and I can tell you, he did not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger at, when he won the Mr. Olympia contest. He did not have that kind of muscle definition, and he did not have a 32-inch waist. He, his waist was over 40. So he had a lot of body fat. That was clearly one of the risk factors, one of the major risk factors. But he had another one, which, again, as we've said many times, is even more important. He was 57 years old. So age and obesity are doing, doing this to countless people. He did have work to do. And if, if it's successful, he could expect decades more of healthy life. And that was clearly my message to him. So the first thing we did with Neil was get an IMT. We knew Neil had plaque, but we wanted to know how much of that was active. He had slowed down some, he had started a diet. It was more of a plant-based diet. Wasn't really watching carbs so much at that time. We were alarmed. His arteries were the equivalent of somebody over 80 years of age. And uh, I mean, we see that a lot. Significant plaque, a lot of it was soft. And that enabled us to get aggressive with Neil's treatment, diet, exercise. Um, he did have statin. I mean, uh, he did have uh, plaque. So that I don't recommend statins usually based on LDL alone. I, I recommend it based on presence of plaque mostly. He had it. I recommended it. He did agree to statins. He had high blood pressure and he had diabetes. Not, not pre-diabetes, he had full-blown diabetes. His uh, blood sugar went way over 200 when we challenged it. And guess what? His fasting glucose was 93. So his doctors, other doctors had always said, you don't have a glucose problem. No, he didn't have pre-diabetes. Yes, he had a glucose problem. He had full-blown diabetes. So he got off, he started saying, I can't eat carbs. So he got on uh, metformin. He got on blood pressure medication. He lost 40 pounds. Now, and he's, he actually decided to, um, to go back off of his metformin. Uh, he needed to go off of his hypertension medication because he started getting a little bit dizzy when he would bend over, um, having some of that problem. He went from a state of having inflammation in his arteries to no inflammation. Now, um, guess what? His calcium score went up another 400 from, uh, 300 to 700. And guess what? You know, I, <laughs> I, you can probably predict the story again. So I had to, I, first of all, I discouraged him to get about getting those. And secondly, when he did, you know, he did, he calmed down and he said, well, you know, you're right. You told me that. It was clear that I had a lot of soft plaque in there and it was clear that I calcified it. He's uh, Neil's in a good place now. So here's some follow-up comments. Co the coronary calcium score measures calcium. It doesn't measure plaque. You use calcium, the measured calcium as an estimate of plaque. And you say, well, um, why would, it, if it doesn't measure soft plaque, um, why, why would you be comfortable saying someone <clears throat> on a, um, 
someone with a zero calcium score doesn't need to have treatment, doesn't need to have statins. Well, I tell you what, again, if somebody with a zero calcium score is obese, they're 57 years old, uh, I do get worried about that individual. And I want to get a CIMT for that individual because for that individual, I am worried that they may have uh, plaque, but nothing but soft plaque. The reason uh, calcium is such a good, uh, a good helps us uh, provide estimates is that if you've gone into this mode of making uh, soft plaque and then reversed it, which happens. This is a cyclical issue more than anything else. It's not just a slow, I mean, it's not just a uh, straight line progression, especially in the days here now where people are losing 40 pounds. A lot of people are doing that. And so then you get more of this up and down progression. Usually you don't get rid of all your plaque. I mean, all of your calcium, even if you reverse your risk, in fact, as I've been saying multiple times, you often increase that calcium. So bullet number two, it's a great screening tool, but um, there is significant uh, risk. It's not, it's not huge risk. It's not significant for a 60-year-old with probable plaque, but it is a significant risk for a 20-year-old that's healthy. Clearly a significant risk for uh, kids, for infants, for five-year-olds. Uh, so you're not going to see this used as a screening tool for those healthy populations. Why is that the case? Because of the radiation. The radiation, they get better and better and better and use less and less and less radiation. For your typical patient in their 60s, I'm not worried about the radiation, but we, we will not see uh, screening for five-year-olds for this or 20-year-olds. And guess what? It's not great for follow-up. As much as you want to use it, it's not great for follow-up. Why? The gradation's not specific either. And uh, again, uh, I think we've gotten there. I think we've described some of the, uh, the pros and the cons. In fact, we've described maybe the, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Now, uh, of uh, calcium score. I mentioned at some point that I was going to talk about Arthur Agatston and uh, how I knew that he lived in South Florida. He wrote the South Beach Diet Book. That was one of the first books where they started saying, you know what, we really need to start taking a look at uh, carbs and insulin and some of those things. So last slide, I believe. The test is not harmless. It's the radiation danger is minimal, especially for people that are in major risk areas. Uh, in their life. Calcified plaque is safer than soft plaque by fi factors higher than 6X. I didn't uh, include the Honda study here. I've included it multiple times in multiple videos, and I think it was even available. We, we covered it about uh, a month ago where we showed um, the risk in plaque that doesn't have calcium versus plaque that does have calcium. And as we said, it's actually higher than six times the risk uh, in plaque with no calcium. So that fact that non-calcified plaque is more dangerous than calcified plaque creates a, pa a paradox. If calcification is a sign of plaque healing and stabilization, then why are higher coronary calcium scores indicative of greater risk? Well, the bottom line is it shows that you've been through that cycle of 
laying down plaque and reversing it, uh, reversing that inflammation, calcifying that plaque, then going back into it, laying down more plaque and then calcifying that. There's evidence that higher calcium scores represents higher overall plaque generation. That's what the process I just described. But we can find soft plaque even though there's no calcium. Uh, calcium score doesn't detect soft plaque. So we've got a lot of people and a lot of comments. I doubt very much that I'm going to get through all of these today. So if I don't get to your comment again, um, please put it in the uh, uh, in the um, the video itself when it's posted. And if you still need uh, more personal uh, uh, focus, then you can call Michelle at 859-721-1414. That's 859-721-1414. Or if you're here in, uh, on the eastern shore of Alabama, you can come see us at the uh, Jubilee Clinics. So Amer, hi from Germany. Bart Robinson, uh, good morning. Absolutely looking forward to this topic. John Tocho, excellent topic. And me, calcium score, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> For those of you who've seen the movie, maybe you remember what I'm talking about. Uh, Bill H., good morning from Brentwood, Tennessee. Martha Reich, good morning. Uh, I, I think that's um, Gilbert telling you where you can get some more uh, videos, more information. Uh, more content from us. Rose Vanderagen, why won't insurance pay for the coronary calcium score? Oh, well, that's what I, I said. I, I, I thought I covered that, but maybe I didn't. The standards committees were very iffy on calcium score and are still a little bit iffy. You're not starting to see some insurance companies pay for a calcium score, but not many. <clears throat> because of the standards committees, they'd rather look at cholesterol. Uh, Bart Robinson, good morning to you, Martha. Peter Utsi, good morning. Uh, good evening from Estonia. I don't, Peter, I don't, I think I've seen your name before, but I don't, didn't know you were from Estonia. And I don't remember anybody coming in from Estonia before. Rose Van Der Regen, good, great theme song. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep. I wish we could get that, but you know, I'm sure that has a, one of those copyrights on it. And I think that would be a great theme song for the whole channel. E.T. himself, morning from Canada. I didn't know you were from Canada, E.T. Thanks for uh, making us aware. Just Rusty, acknowledging the greatness of good, the bad, the ugly, it raises your reputation in my eyes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Just Rusty. Rose Van Der Regen, laugh out loud. And you know me from where? Excellent movie. Be very afraid. Yes, be very afraid if your doctor has said, hmm, you've got a little touch of sugar. Adam Schmitz, A1C should be below five. If not, you need to work on it. Thank you very much, Adam. That's a very good comment. Yep. Can you repeat that number? Well, a five is a good number. Uh, it's a great number. Uh, mine has gotten up to 5.6, 5.7, and that's where it started to get <clears throat> when I was, um, that's when I discovered I was pre-diabetic. And then again, you could make an argument. I had a had one reading on my uh, Libre once that 
was over 200. So technically you could say I have full-blown diabetes. ET himself backed the vid up. I'm not sure what, Martin, awesome. I just checked and mine was 4.9. The goal is to get it to 4.5. Ah, gosh, I'm so jealous. I haven't seen five in many, many years. Um, how do you get it down further? Well, you, you lose body fat and you uh, decrease your carb intake. Rich Peterson, read that, read that statins and heavy exercise raise the CLC scores, car, uh, calcium scores. Yes, mine is 1,700, and both of these probably raised mine. Yes. And going off carbs and losing body fat. That's the biggest item. ET himself, lower the total carbs. I don't hear much in carb, eat much in carbs, but I eat lots of veggies and beans. Um, the big place where you have problems and people consider it part of a plant-based diet is grains, pastas, breads. That's where you just get hammered with huge amounts of carbs. Adam Schmitz, Martin, go, go keto, add muscle, monitor how foods affect your blood sugar using a CGM. That's what I mentioned a Libre a few minutes ago. It's a great little white plastic button with a, with a, um, not a needle on the back, a filament on the back. You just pop it onto the back of your arm and you get your blood glucose readings over the next uh, two weeks, 24 or seven. You should see your blood glucose decrease at the wee hours of the morning, just like you should see blood pressure decrease at the wee hours of the morning, one, two, three o'clock. <clears throat> um, people complain about the Libre. It's, it's challenging. Sometimes it's really off. <clears throat> Most of the people that I've worked with that have real problems with it found out, oh, lo and behold, I was taking two grams of, of vitamin C. Uh, half a gram or more of vitamin C in a day is clearly enough to throw off a Libre. Uh, <clears throat> Adam Schmitz, beans are high in carbs. Yes, they are. Now, that's an interesting point, Adam. One of the things that you find, and I have plenty of patients. I've, I've got plenty of patients who are full-blown diabetic whose blood sugars rarely get over 120. Now, how do they do that? They eat to the glucometer. They lose the weight that they need to lose. Um, <clears throat> and beans, and especially lentils, are the big wild card. You know, when I said eat to the glucometer, one of the things, uh, one of the, there are a couple of recurring surprises that patients find. One is, you know, I took a car vacation. I went and had pizza with my son and uh, I expected my blood sugar to go way up. But we went for a walk afterwards. It wasn't a big workout. I wasn't running. I wasn't lifting weights. I wasn't doing any high intensity intervals. But it just took the top right off of that carb spike, that blood sugar spike. Yeah, gentle walking will do that. Uh, eating to the, to the glucometer, one of the things you find, and people find that quite often with their Libre, is they expected beans to not cause a problem. They expected lentils to not cause a problem. And especially uh, about half of my diabetics, pre-diabetics, when they eat lentils, their blood sugar will just go straight up as if they were eating pasta. Vagabond Sojourner. I've been on LC diet, low carb diet with low statin for nine months. Low dose statin. Cholesterol's down. C-reactive protein is 0.5, but my insulin and glucose went up, giving me bad HOMA IR results. Is it true statins can push IR? Yes, it is. 
But Vagabond, I am not the fan. Everybody says, oh, well, you know, the definitive study for uh, prediabetes and diabetes is the HOMA IR. The problem with the vast majority of HOMA IRs is they're based on a still shot evidence, uh, 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 view. In other words, one fasting glucose. I see it all the time. Like the patient I described earlier today had a fasting glucose of 92, 93, yet he was full-blown diabetic. His HOMA IR, um, as measured by the vast majority of ways that you look at HOMA IR, would have been great, yet he was diabetic. You have to use a challenge, a moving picture. You have to see how the body responds. Just doing a ratio of um, fasting glucose to fasting uh, insulin is not a great way to look at this. <clears throat> and the vast majority of HOMA IRs, there are other HOMA IRs which do look at a, <clears throat> excuse me, look at a moving picture, but the vast majority of them don't. And just because you're looking at a ratio between uh, insulin and uh, glucose does not mean it's a definitive study at all. I see it all the time. Please do an OGTT with insulin response or do a craft insulin survey. That's what the craft insulin survey is all about. Kenneth H. Tim Russell was fat and definitely had fatty liver. <clears throat> he was overweight. His, um, his waist circumference was pushing 40 at the time that he died. But you know what? He did the stress test. There were, there were some things going on with his blood pressure and a couple of other things. Uh, he did the stress test. He said, hmm, I'm good. No, he wasn't. He had problems. And having a, having a, a waist circumference <clears throat> that over 35 or above is a big deal. And it wasn't Russell. It was Tim Russert. Uh, ET himself, beans or carbs, big time as they are, as they are starchy veggies. Ivor was a real, was real strange with COVID. Unfortunately, I thought so too. It's like that. Uh, it's so amazing. You know, I'm studying dualistic thinking right now. Um, uh, I teach, uh, I'm a, a backup uh, teacher for Sunday school in a, in a, um, in a Christian church. And, you know, one of the things about Christians is they tended to give up meditation. Well, <clears throat> decade, a uh, thousand years ago, and it was only recently under Thomas Merton and some other folks that they began to start realizing we need to get back to meditation. The point behind all of this is meditation gets you to stop this dualistic thinking where you have to think that everything is either good or bad. The reality is Everything's not either black or white, good or bad. Things are in gradations of gray. That's enough. That's I'll get off of that soapbox. Et himself started reading. Start reading labels. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was a great suggestion. Et Martin. What about soft bouncy plaque? Never heard it called bouncy, Martin, but soft plaque is what the risk, what causes the risk. Because, you know, you go back, Martin, and you look at the autopsy done on, on Tim Russert. The pathologist said, oh, gosh, I went into his arteries in his heart 
and it looked like the face of a teenager with a bad case of acne. These little pustules all over the place, whiteheads. And what happened? One of those whiteheads broke. When that pus came out, it formed a clot. That clot blocked the artery in his heart. And when that artery blocked, a large portion of his heart tissue lost oxygenation. When it lost oxygenation, it went into a chaotic rhythm called V-fib, ventricular fibrillation. You know, on the TV shows where they come running in with the defibrillator and they have the two paddles and they put them on the chest and they say, clear. Uh, that's what that that's what they're dealing with. They're dealing with the V-fib that killed Tim Russert and kills so many people with half the people that that die from the half the people that have a heart attack have V-fib and have immediate death, sudden death. It's called sudden cardiac death. And we've done videos on that. Sudden cardiac death comes from V-fib. And that's what happens. It's some of that soft, bouncy plaque releases. It causes a clot. The clot stops, uh, clogs the artery. And uh, <clears throat> you go into V-fib. Now, they, that's what this thing about having defibrillators all over the, the place. They did ha actually have a defibrillator in his office, I think. He was the bureau chief for the D.C. office um, for whatever news. It was one of the top, you know, top three news offices at that time. They tried uh, uh, local defibrillation. Didn't work. They uh, sent, they took him to the hospital and again pronounced him dead. Rose Vanderagen, keto is a problem, only good for short-term weight loss. Well, Rose, I would tell you, I've got plenty of people that have been on keto for years, years. I don't, I think those folks would say, hmm, it's not short term for me. Adam Schmitz, I think insulin, vitamin D, and calcium are all interlinked. <clears throat> You're not the only one that thinks that, Adam. There's uh, there's some studies, you know, just like any study, they've been criticized, but there's a couple of guys who've done a ton of studies uh, indicating that vitamin D is a, or lack of vitamin D is a critical risk factor for diabetes. E.T. himself, Martin, I bet. Uh, I don't really trust, well, yeah, my calcium score went from 670 to 970 in three years on keto. Thank you so much, me, my high hemi. I have PVC arteries now. <laughs> you know, and people don't like that. I wish I didn't have calcified arteries either, but I, that means I'd have to get rid of all the calcium in my uh, arteries, and that's not likely to happen. E.T. himself, how do you highlight? Well, not sure what that question is. Just Rusty, my LT, my LT uh, long-term care insurer offered free CIMT and a few other tests through a third-party par provider. I want to accept, but I'm way off the cattle call nature of the provider. Doesn't the CIMT require? Great. Yes, there are. It's you know, there's those trucks that go around uh, that do these things. I'm blanking on the names of you know some of the big ones, but it is a cattle car type of operation, and they actually do a CIMT. They'll call it a CIMT. <clears throat> I've worked with several of the um, ultrasonographers that used to work on those, and their perspective is 
you, you just can't get the quality that we need. Uh, you, you're, you're going too fast. You got to be very careful on how you do what's called the interrogation, where you put that ultrasound wine. So I think that's a good concern. I don't recommend the cattle car operations either, just Rusty. Rose, of course I did. Well, I used the, I'm sorry. You, you, when you guys are going back and forth with each other, I'm not sure that I can, that it's helpful for other people. I, I'm on resuvastatin. Martin's on resuvastatin. I have FH. Great point, uh, Martin. Thank you for sharing that. FH stands for familial hypercholesterolemia. Um, and that is a real problem with uh, LDL. Uh, cholesterol. LDL is what they, a lot of people call the bad cholesterol. Neither LDL nor HDL are good or bad. You just have to look at the types of the subtypes of, uh, <coughs> of particles in there. And it's the small dense LDL. That's this, the significant risk factor, not the large fluffy ones. Um, because of what I do, I have a lot of people on th that have FH. Uh, there's a gene pool, French Canadian gene pool with world-class FH, uh, um, LDL numbers. Uh, these are, if you're worried about whether or not you have potential FH, if you have a, if you've ever had an LDL level, 180 or above, you've got a very good shot of, ha of having it. Either that or being what's called a lean mass hyperresponder. And there's significant overlap between those two groups. Um, trying to get to some comments that make sense for the rest of us. Carbs are everything for a low A1C. I would agree with that. Thank you, ET. Um, how to improve, Peter Utsi, how to improve endothelial health and what are the most harmful foods and habits? By far the biggest issue is number is anything that, um, that causes prolonged hyperglycemia, too much blood sugar, or anything that causes too much insulin. By far, those are the most common things. You can see other things too. Some people with FH, you know, with these 300, uh, LDL levels of 300, <clears throat> that can cause some inflammation. Um, rheumatoid arthritis, most people are aware of that disease, but they don't know that it causes as much risk for heart attack and stroke as diabetes. Why? Because it's an inflammatory disease. Other inflammatory diseases like psoriatic arthritis, those are a big deal as well for heart attack and stroke. And how? Because they damage the endothelium, as you're asking, Peter. <clears throat> but for the vast majority of us, 80% of us, it's aging or uh, getting too much body fat to the point to where we are routinely having too much insulin or too much glucose in our blood. Uh, so Rose is saying sugar is a problem. She's also saying so is saturated fat. I will tell you, Rose, uh, uh, take a look at our videos. The, um, the book on uh, the big fat surprise and by Nina Tykoltz. And then take a look at what you can say. Well, she's not a scientist. She's a reporter. <clears throat> she's actually not a bad scientist. And 
her book uh, stimulated a lot more research into saturated fat, including some really good um, meta-analyses, which are really throwing into question just how bad is saturated fat? Maybe it's not as bad as you think. Sugar is a carb. There's no question about it. Again, I tend to see more risk in most American diets from um, complex carbs like bread, which brings up a really good point. People say, well, and you see that in the, the ADA diet, eat uh, whole grains. Look at, the, look at the glycemic value of whole grain versus white bread. Everybody understands that white bread's bad for you. The glycemic value of whole grain bread is almost the same. It's in for both of them, it's higher than sugar. So be aware, think about it. Processed food is full of carbs. Processed for the most part. Uh, if I take the Prolon diet, uh, Walter Longo's diet, which has been proven to be helpful because it can decrease uh, body fat, which helps drive this problem. But my blood sugar will spike on the um, Walter Longo Prolon diet. Uh, even though it's it's not heavy carbs, it's enough carbs and more than anything else, like the tomato soup, these soups are highly processed. In other words, the vegetable carbs in them have been ground down to a tiny amount. Therefore, all the surface value, uh, all the surface for the carbs, these complex carbs is available immediately when <clears throat> it hits your stomach and your bloodstream. And so I'll get spikes of 180. I've, I've demonstrated that on video. It's a simple carb. Uh, yeah, sugar does pour right into your system. So it's a problem. <clears throat> Beans and vegetables do not. That's not true, Rose. Again, uh, take a look, Wear a, eat to the glucometer, eat beans, eat lentils, and see what they do to your blood sugar. Beans and potatoes will uh, raise your blood sugar dramatically. Thank you, Adam. How to control for, well, <clears throat> or they're, we're, they're getting into some side debate here regarding the blue zone stuff. And the blue zones are like, the island of Okinawa, the area in uh, California where the uh, Seventh-day Adventists live, <coughs> uh, a couple of places in uh, Italy, one of the places where Walter Longo happens to be from. Um, I'm blanking on the, the name of the area, but it's like uh, you see these, well, they don't eat meat. Well, therefore, if we don't eat meat, we're going to be healthy. I think in most of those populations, I think not eating meat tends to be more of a um, of an indicator of folks that that are not obese. Um, but that's just a pet theory of of mine. I will again uh, won't get deep into that debate, uh, that side debate. What a dilemma! And Rose is saying beans and vegetables are not simple sugars. Yeah, take a look at. Again, Rose, I would ask you, have you done a lot of work with yourself and with other patients who are eating to the glucometer, eating beans and uh, starchy vegetables like potatoes and measuring their blood sugars? It's one thing to say that that they don't. That's a little bit theoretical. <clears throat> uh, not really. So, uh, Jean Lafortune, I have plaque. What is the best treatment? 
Well, we've been talking about that. I hope you picked it up. If you've been listening, uh, I think you would have. Where is CGM an experiment? I would agree, Rose. Where is CGM an experiment? There's, okay. We're having a debate on the side here, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm just going to skip over Rose and Adam while they have their debate. Um, Mm, we seem to have gotten into a major complex carb, uh, vegetarian, plant-based uh, debate here. And it's the same thing over and over again, again and again. Uh, and saying that vegetarians live longer. <clears throat> well, let me see if I can find... Okay, here's Alan Turner. Does a high LPL, LP little a score contribute significantly to plaque, resulting in high calcium scores? Are Repatha and Niacin the only available treatments? If so, what dosage of each? Most people have not heard of LP little a. That's how you pronounce it. And most people don't even know how to pronounce it when they see that for the first time. It's called LP little a. Bob, mm, I'm having a, what was his name? Somebody help me with fact checking. He was the fellow that had a heart attack associated with uh, LP little a. Um, Harper, Bob Harper. Uh, how would I know him? Again, he was very well known. He was in his early 50s, uh, the major um, health coach for The Biggest Loser. And everybody looked at him. He was thin, muscular, worked out all the time. And then he had a heart attack. Oh, my Lord. And then he came out within the week and said, yeah, I've got LP little A. Up until that time, many people in medical science was very much aware of the risk associated with LP little A. But because they couldn't figure out what to do for it, nobody ever looked at it and, and nobody ever told their patients about it. Well, there are things to do for it. Um, for example, uh, niacin has been demonstrated to decrease LP little a. Uh, there's some other impacts as well, other things that would impact. Um, in order to talk about those two items, the Repatha, the niacin, the statins, um, you have, you have to think about what is LP little a. LP little a is a subpopulation of LDL, the quote, bad cholesterol. That's not really quote, bad cholesterol. Uh, <clears throat> it's a certain type. It's a genetic variation. And uh, it's been demonstrated multiple times that if you have significant LP little a, that in and of itself can, call, can and will cause increased heart attack and stroke risk. So, uh, I got in, I went down that bunny hole to, to prep people for the next comment that I would make. Uh, then statins and PCSK9s like Repatha, the new biomedical drug for um, genetically developed biomedical drug for LDL uh, should help. Yes and no. I mean, they, sometimes they help, sometimes they even make it worse. Um, but sometimes they help. Now, so what's what are we to do? Uh, up until now, up until and still for the next few months, maybe a few years, the, the major tools that we've had for dealing with LP little a are number one, manage all the other risks. So for example, if you look at the Mayo Clinic uh, head of cardiology, he would say, 
what to do for LP little a give him a statin because you know he's thinking about giving statins for any kind of cardiovascular risk uh i would say you know lifestyle 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 uh and then as you know there are other things supplements and medications uh, to look at as well uh, one of the supplements niacin has been demonstrated to decrease the level of lp little a um like everything there's a major debate around niacin and i've covered if you don't know that debate uh and looking at things like uh i think it was was it the all hat study or the dps2 thrive or thrive don't remember right now but there are studies which show some challenges with niacin i've i've got about half a dozen videos in a series on niacin if you have more questions about that take a look protein can turn into sugar well adam that's true mike i would question this how significant is protein turning into sugar? And as people say, <clears throat> you'll hear uh, Jason Fung, for example, talk about, well, protein can stimulate insulin. I think the jury's still out on just how much that actually happens. In fact, I'd, I'm a little bit skeptical that uh, a lot of protein is causing significant insulin or glucose-related risk. <clears throat> Again, we're going into the Adam and Rose debate. Um, so let me see if we've got anything else other than Adam. Here's Bart. Rose, you're watching. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Bart, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, Rose, if you would, you know, I would ask you to please just calm down a little bit. Um, is K2 helpful clearing and cleaning arteries? Yes, K2. Oh, yes, we think. Uh, is it definitive? No, nah, the jury's still out on that, uh, Lamine Kadri. Um, I'd be asked, uh, where are you from, Lamine? And is that a, uh, where, where's your uh, original family from? I'm curious. So K2, uh, I've got a series of videos on K2. It's a great supplement. Um, people say, well, it takes calcium out of your arteries. I would also say not so fast. It, uh, it very well may, but I think it's a little bit different from what most people assume, that it takes calcium out of your artery walls and puts it in your bones. <clears throat> K2 is actually a part of something that stimulates and uh what we call carboxylates, a couple of enzymes. One of them is osteocalcin uh, and a couple of others. And uh, we're getting into some technical medical terms. Here's what I, at the end of the day, here's what I think actually happens is that vitamin K2 actually helps those of us with age-related uh, prediabetes and diabetes reverse that process. And that's how it helps in terms of calcification. E.T., great chat, informative. Thank you so much, Martin. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your interest. And I appreciate you having some manners. Uh, not all of us are having good manners today. Uh, Mimi, Hemi, uh, Mihai, Hemi. I do K2 and D3, but not sure it's helping. Uh, my calcium reduction, though giving nice and a shot. 
Neil is a lucky man to see Dr. Brewer. Well, thank you so much, Peter. Uh, Peter, we're still open. I'm still seeing patients. We're closing it off as the, <clears throat> as the Alabama project grows. Um, Orville Nation would love to interview sometime on our new health channel. If you're open to it, Dr. Brewer, have followed you for quite some time. Orville, I'd, uh, you give Michelle a call at 859-721-1414. That's 859-721-1414. And thank you so much for your interest. Um, Keto's not carnivore. Um, yeah, there's Rose again. Actually, I'm using ginger garlic. Uh, let me see what else we've got here. Fort Worth West Side. Good to hear from you, Fort Worth. Some sources say we can't make plaque go away. You can make plaque go away. <clears throat> um, and if you think, well, you know, Brewer is one of those crazy internet docs. Look, I used to teach at Johns Hopkins. I'm not that crazy. And I do talk a lot more about some standard stuff that people really hate me for. And that is, you know, I do use statins. I do use other medications. Um, here's the thing. If you don't, you don't have to trust me, go to Harvard. I mean, who complains about Harvard being crazy? Um, maybe if you work at Harvard, you might. But Harvard Health uh, Newsletter had a coverage once where they were talking about, <clears throat> of course, you can make plaque go away. There are two places where we've seen it over and over and over again. And I would agree with them. It does happen. You, and here's the two places that you tend to see plaque go away. One is uh, significant weight loss, 30 pounds or more. Happens all the time. Uh, happens. I mean, it's not, I say all the time, it's not common, it, but it does happen. Those of you who are statin haters, close your ears for a second while I'd say the other time that we tend to see reversal of plaque. And that was probably what happened with my own personal reversal of plaque than anything else. Cause I lost about eight pounds, but I went from 72 year old, 73 year old arteries to 15, 57 year old arteries in about 18 months. And for me, it was probably that other reason that the Harvard folks mention about reversing plaque. And that is somebody who's never been on a statin starting a statin. So uh, the statin haters can open your ears again. Uh, <clears throat> we've got another super chat. Thanks as always. Tired looking for name. Tired looking for name is a great supporter. We really appreciate that. As you see, um, Gilbert showing you, if you'd like to do a super chat, these kind of dollars, uh, are significant. Uh, Gilbert's in the Philippines. We've got uh, a team of folks in the Philippines and a team of folks in Mexico, the Mexican team are some really good public health docs, preventive docs working on content. Uh, Gilbert and the other production guys are, are in the Philippines and 20 bucks makes a big difference in those economies. So thank you again, tired looking for name. Um, uh, so a lot of uh, background comments about niacin. What are the standard doses? I usually recommend people take uh, 200, start with 250 milligrams. Taking 50 milligrams of niacin really doesn't have an impact. Uh, if you talk to the cardiologists and other folks that do use niacin, most of them will say, <clears throat> you're not going to get any uh, preventive impact until you get to two grams or more. 
I don't really believe that either because I've got plenty of patients who are getting a significant improvement in their lipid panel as well as inflammation panel on as low as 250. Most of the time they get it up to 500. Here's another thing to think about. You know, the problem with niacin is the flush. <clears throat> and I can tell you, I've had, I remember trying it, what, 10, 20 years ago. Um, when we, we were just discovering some of the uh, benefits of niacin and we didn't have any of the long acting stuff, any of the other stuff. I remember once taking some <clears throat> and a few hours later I was sitting, I was in church and doing some choir stuff. I don't do choir anymore, but all of a sudden I felt like somebody had grabbed me by the hair, pulled it up, and was scalping me. It's just major burn right through there. And it was like, I am. And it took me a few minutes to figure out what was going on. And at that point, I decided, oh, yeah, that's niacin. And I don't think I can take that anymore. Things have changed. There are actually two. <clears throat> there were actually multiple different versions of niacin that are, quote, no flush. Um, be very... Uh, very picky about what you do take in that area. Uh, there was a, a lot of them where they added lapropriant, a chemical that decreases the flush. You see, niacin is like a, um, a prostaglandin. Again, a very technical medical term. What a prostaglandin is like a, a locally short, locally acting hormone almost. <clears throat> well, when you add um, lapropion to niacin, it does get rid of the flush, but it also unfortunately appears to get rid of any positive impact as well. So if you're taking quote, no flush niacin that has, because it has lapropion, it's no flush because it has lapropion, you're throwing your money away. <clears throat> Don't do that. Uh, there are a couple of, of brands. I don't know all the brands that, uh, that are, um, that actually have an impact that are safe to take, but I do know two, uh, from working with, uh, some folks that had studied this deeply. Uh, one is rugby brand, R-U-G-B-Y, and the other is, um, Endurison. Now I've recommended both of those. I've taken both of those. We tend to find a little bit better, um, uh, tolerate, tolerance, patient tolerance with the uh, endurison. And endurison is just a wax-based matrix. So you've got a wax matrix. And what happens is it's a long-acting, long-release form of niacin. <clears throat> Can't take niacin either. No flush does nothing. Well, I, I, so Martin, the uh, endurison and rugby both they're, they're not low, no flush, <clears throat> but they're long acting and they clearly do something. And yes, you'll get some episodes, but you really don't get that much from either one of them. So I would ask you, Martin, thank you. Thank you very much for putting that out there. And I would ask you to take a second look if you're wanting to take a look at niacin. Uh, again, I have tons of people using having very little flush. They have some, but not very much. <clears throat> With, the, with those two brands. Again, Endurison more than rugby even. Martin, let's see if we've got anything else here. We're coming 
Well, I th oh my lord, we, we were, we're. I thought we were coming to the end of the comments, <clears throat> but no, there's just a ton more. Flushing with niacin is greatly reduced over time. That's another point. Thank you so much, Mezzanine, for sharing that. It's greatly reduced over time. If you can just get beyond some of that challenge. Um, less flushing uh, of taking with meals. Less flushing if taking, you know, you, you take it and then you jump in before 20 minutes before you're going to take a shower. That helps. Some people like to take it in the morning so it doesn't bother them when they go to sleep. Some people take it before they go to sleep and um, don't notice the flush. <clears throat> Wish I still had a calcium score of 57. I do too. Uh, the, the last time I looked, I've only done it once. And um, I think it was about two or three years ago, I had a calcium score of 100. Is this a forum for, uh, thank you for it, we're at the West Side. Uh, I would agree, Rose, that it's very related, but this is not a forum, a, a debate forum kind of format. It really isn't. So please have a little bit more respect for other folks who have questions rather than <clears throat> just wanting to get on and, and bombard the comment section with uh, debates. And you, and you can clearly have your, your opinion, but it's like, what have we got here? 50 different comments of restatements of opinion. Okay. Otis page, carotid artery, 75 blockage. What is 70? Oh, 75% blockage. Probably. Do you recommend statins even of weight loss and keto diet? Uh, I, I, a couple of points. Number one, legally, I, I can't make a recommendation for you, but I can say I can't actually. And here's why I can't make a, a, a clear statement regarding that. It's like, do you still have diabetes? Do you know whether you have diabetes, pre-diabetes? Do you have what's causing this plaque in the first place? How old are you? You know, if you're 85, you know, that might be a different, it's clearly a different story from somebody in their fifties. You know, we have to have all of these other answers before we start saying, well, doc, just give me, tell me what to do medically on this channel. Insulin resistance is the biggest risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Thank you so much, Janice, uh, Janice Johnson's. I agree. Clearly. Uh, relation to Peter, Peter Grant, uh, relation to magnesium causing too much calcium. That's a possibility. I have not gone too deep into that question because, again, there's just so much focus that we need to have in terms of insulin resistance itself. Bart, thank you so much. Insulin resistance is the elephant in the room that <clears throat> we talk about it on this channel, but unfortunately, nobody else does. Lamine Kadri, hi from Algeria. I, we haven't had anybody from Algeria yet either. Thank you so much, Lamine. Liamine. Liamine. Oh. Tell me how to pronounce that sometime. Uh, another uh, great uh, thank you and uh, and super chat button from Peter Grant, $20. Thank you again, Peter. We appreciate it. <clears throat> and the Filipino team, the Mexican team, they all appreciate it. I appreciate it because I tend to support this, as you can see, with my time and <coughs> retirement and patient care. We careful, we be careful about A1C too low. Our randomized clinical trials show increased mortality with A1C less than five. My A1C has dropped 4.8, but not a reflection of glucose control. 
So, Bob, thank you very much. This is a great point. I don't remember if that was the, I can't remember the name of those studies right now. There were several studies that said that. And so one of the things they decided is, especially for older patients, don't try to get their A1C too low. <clears throat> but Bob, go back and look at how they achieved a low A1C. They achieved, in those studies that showed that, they achieved this low A1C by medicating with insulin and other prescription level medications. <clears throat> That's a very dangerous way to get a low A1C. And I do not recommend that. Don't get an o, a low A1C using prescription medications. However, there's no study that I'm aware of. If you're aware of it, please show me. Where the method for achieving low A1C was lifestyle, not medication. Um, <clears throat> thank you again, Bob. Great point. Gave me a great opportunity to go down a, a bunny hole. Okay. Thank you again, Rose. Okay. Jim Clark. Thank you. Have you been able to, oh, have been able to convince my cardiologist of your teachings? Well, that's exciting to hear. And in a much better place than I was before. I could be a 70 year old poster child for your beliefs and practices. Jim Clark Sr. Thank you so much for that comment. And that's what keeps us going. You know, it's a, it's not a, uh, not a minor thing to be acknowledged that you're saving lives. And that's exactly what we get on a regular basis. Matthew Heyman, I've heard about AMLA powder. Well, I'm not going. Uh, I've read a glucose and insulin challenge with crazy high results. If you have been low carb. Um, no, it, going low carb doesn't make you have an extremely high glucose and insulin uh, when challenged. That's just not true. You've read about it, but why don't you try it? <clears throat> Johnny F, calcium score of 12 and Doc wants me to be on a statin. Over 12, over 70 and pushed back. Thoughts? The same thoughts I would I was said earlier, I, you know, I would need to know a lot more about what's going on with you, Johnny. Uh, do you have diabetes? And if so, how much? What level? It, it, or do you have other drivers of cardiovascular status? And <clears throat> uh, if you want to get to that level of detail, you want to see me as a patient, again, call Michelle at 859-721-1414. Uh, Love Thomas Martin, done retreats at Gethsemane. You know, I live in Lexington, Kentucky, so we've been down there. It's a very interesting looking place. Something sounds terrible. Does it matter where the calcium is found in the calcium? Well, I will tell you this. There's an artery called the, uh, um, it's the LAD, left anterior descending um, Widowmaker. And that's where everybody says, you know, that's where you're going to get your, that's where I got my increase in calcium. That's where I've got my plaque. It's right there in the Widowmaker. I'm in huge trouble. Almost everybody that have pl has plaque in their arteries has it right there in the Widowmaker. So <clears throat> whether that's the, the risk that you think it is, it's a different question. Is it true that LDLC will likely be higher if processed 
if in process of losing, losing quite a bit of weight. Here's the, what you might be talking about, gator beer, gator beer geek, gator beer geek. Interesting name. Now, if you go low carb, it's been very, it's been documented multiple times that you can get a thing called um, lean mass hyperresponder. Dave Feldman. This is the first time I've remembered Dave Feldman's name uh, <laughs> and several mentions on the channel. He's got a, a, a channel and a website. I think it's called Cholesterol Code. And he's an engineer. He's not a doc, but he's documented something very helpful. And that is lean mass hyperresponder. That's when you go on a low carb, no carb diet and your LDL starts climbing. Now, for the most part, so you can read that, go gear into that, look at it, watch his videos. Uh, and for the most part, I would agree with what he's saying. And then for the most part, uh, several others would, including, you know, the Harvard, uh, Harvard Health newsletter. The <clears throat> one place that I don't agree is he says that it's totally separate from FH, familial hypercholesterolemia, which somebody mentioned earlier. And I can tell you, <clears throat> no, there is significant overlap in terms of the two populations uh, that have FH, but also have our lean mass hyperresponders. <clears throat> and we've got several, we've got several videos on the channel about that. Um, <clears throat> T.S. Uh, Saravan, sorry, Saravan, Saravanad, LDL is going up annually. Last two years since low carb. Now with a 234 score, that's LDL. So pretty much by definition, you see a 234 on LDL. Uh, it's usually either a, a uh, lean mass hyperresponder or a uh, or an FH, or as I just mentioned, could be both. Cardiologist suggested veg vegetarian diet, and I feel pressure for statin. Resuvastatin <clears throat> decreased uh, animal products worked for me. Uh, what diet do you recommend for PAH? have a question, a puzzler, my white counts down. We're not going to talk about white count today. Sorry, we've got too many people with too many questions that are on topic. Uh, one solution, Johnny's got a great solution here. Just don't grow old. <laughs> Wish that. Uh, how do you do that, Johnny? Um, 50 plus, how frequent to do a calcium scan? Uh, the standard is five years or more. So again, don't do a calcium score every year, three times a year. And Rose, please be respectful of the others. What's the optimal hemoglobin A1C? You know, you get back into that debate. And again, like I said earlier, I have seen several uh, of the videos or, or the I've read and analyzed several of the studies that say, oh, no, it's dangerous to get below five. Go back and look and see. To me, I think it's great if you can get below five, which I can or haven't been able to with the lifestyle that I have. I travel a lot and I'm not completely keto. Um, I, I usually keep my carbs reliably a hundred or, or less, but you know, quite often keto as well. Uh, I don't get below uh, five. Um, and despite what you heard from, I think it was Bob Bell. It was one of the commenters a few minutes ago said that there's some risk going below five. Uh, like I said, 
clearly risk going below five if you're using prescription medications to get there. But using lifestyle, not so much. Longo is great. Your insulin probably spikes because you've been doing keto for two. Oh, come on, Rose, please. Charles Lastly, Repatha. Uh, <clears throat> views, please. I'm not sure what that question is. Food fight. <laughs> yes. It's unfortunate that, you know, you provide some public forum here. And, you know, what's the old adage about? Uh, anyhow, I won't say it. Randomized clinical trials show A1C at 5 to 5.2 gives best total mortality. I'm not going to repeat uh, the response to that. Uh, I think uh, we're getting to where uh, here's statins don't always work for LP little a. That's true. Haven't seen, haven't seen OAG been here lately. I, I haven't, I've, talk to him because you know i'm in alabama now with the lower alabama projects and uh i did talk to oag a couple of months ago orville nation another super chat thank you so much orville i appreciate that um guys it's getting uh it's getting late long in the tooth and i have some patients i need to see i like i said before not going to be able to get all of the uh all of the the uh, comments dealt with today. Thank you so much for your interest and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.